Good morning. My name is Jim Ribbons, and I'm here to tell you about how God has healed me. I was born with a disease called cystic fibrosis. CF is a disease that affects breathing and digestion, provides an environment that's conducive to uh, bacterial infections. It's a disease that primarily affects children and adolescents. Twenty years ago, the average lifespan of a child with, with this disease was, it lived 18 to 20 years. Now, with advancements in treatment and medications, the lifespan has been increased to 30 to 35 years. I'm 61 years old. God has blessed me with a milder form of CF. Despite having a milder form of the disease, I've experienced difficulty breathing throughout my life. I had a daily cough and constant congestion in my lungs. Three to four years ago, I started to experience increased lung infections and began to spend more and more time in the hospital for treatment. My condition began to deteriorate. The disease started to treat me like I was an adolescent. As my condition worsened, I was encouraged by several people to meet with the elders of Calvary and have them pray over me. James 5:14 and 15 says, Are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. In May 2011, I met with the elders, and they prayed over me and anointed me with oil. They prayed for my strength and, God, and asked God to heal me. I believe that God would heal me, though I didn't know how. My condition continued to worsen, and I got to the point where physical exercise left me out of breath, and I needed oxygen 24 hours a day. I was in and out of the hospital several times in 2012, each time getting a little worse. As my health declined, I asked God why I was getting weaker. What was his purpose in my getting weaker and weaker? His response was 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I continued to meditate on that truth, continued to pray that God would show me what he meant. My health continued to get worse, and I began to believe that God would heal me by calling me home. And I began to pre prepare for that possibility. A year ago, I had a double lung transplant. I stand before you healed by God. <clears throat> Shortly after surgery, I was able to breathe on my own without the need for oxygen. I no longer have cystic fibrosis in my new healthy lungs. I'm no longer short of breath, and I don't have a daily cough and lung congestion. My health continues to improve over the last 12 months. I'm getting stronger and gradually able to do more, more and more. I'm still amazed at the dramatic, immediate improvement in my overall health, and thank God that he's healed me. Recently, I met with the elders to give them an update on my condition. I wanted to show them what God has done and how he's healed me. I described my declining condition to them and how bad my health had become. I described my surgery and how God had healed me with a lung transplant. I believe they were truly encouraged by what God has done in my life. I'm here today to report to all of you as well. Most of you probably have never met me. I know that many of you have prayed for me and prayed for my health over the last couple of years. I was strengthened and encouraged by your prayers. I want you to know that your prayers are powerful and that God answered them. I believe God healed me not for my benefit but for his glory. I've asked God to use me in my healing for his purpose and his will. I would encourage any of you who are sick to meet with, their elder, with the elders and have them pray over you. God is still in the healing business.
Thank you, Jim. Isn't that great? It's great that God uh, expresses his power and love. And sometimes he does heal, as Jim said, by choosing to take us home, which Paul tells us is far better. But sometimes he gives us uh, glimpses of what heaven will be like here on earth by healing us uh, in these great ways. So let's, uh, let's commit our time now as we look at his word to him in prayer. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Father, we praise you. You are the great healer. Uh, Lord God, we praise you because you love us and are compassionate towards us. Uh, Lord, uh, which of us, uh, God, if you counted our sins against us, could stand? But Lord, you are merciful and gracious to us. And Lord, uh, we see ourselves uh, one way, but you see us as objects of your love and mercy. Lord, when you look at each one of us, you see us as your children, those of us who are believers in Jesus. And God, we thank you for that compassion and that love. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, today, as we look at your word, open our eyes to help us to see uh, the way in which you do provide care and comfort for the hurt and for the wounded and for the sick. Lord, give us eyes to see how we get to be a part of that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, when I hear that passage read... I'm not surprised that when God looks at me in a condition of being harassed and helpless, that he has compassion on me. It comforts me to no end that that, to know that that is how he looks at me. That he doesn't look at me or you if you are going through a difficult season of life, if you are feeling harassed or helpless. That the emotion that is right now in God's heart as he looks at you is not judgment or anger or condemnation, but compassion. And it's great to know, and it's not surprising in the least, that the God who is love looks at us in our times of difficulty with an extra sense of compassion and feeling. But I'll tell you what is surprising, is what Jesus seems to say is the way in which God provides help for us in the midst of times in which we're feeling harassed and helpless. You see, from that passage, Jesus seems to say that what we need is a shepherd to come alongside and care for us. He seems to be saying that it's not so much that we need other sheep. Now, clearly we do. But he's saying when he looks at us harassed and helpless, he sees us as sheep who need a shepherd. We need a spiritual leader to come alongside and to help us and to bless us as we walk this journey. Now, the reason why this is surprising for me to hear Jesus say that is because it's so easy to be jaded and cynical about leadership. All you have to do is look around in the world today and listen to reports from General Motors, for example. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on there or what happened there, but it certainly seems like some sort of failure in leadership when it came to all of these recalls, that if they simply had gone back and recalled the cars and fixed the part and spent the money to do it, lives might have been saved. 
And again, you hear a story like that and it's too easy to be cynical about leadership but just say, well, they're in it for the money. Well, why would we expect anything different? Or to read stories about the NCAA and to see how some student-athletes are wanting to unionize because they feel like the NCAA is not treating them fairly. Or uh, one student-athlete, among many, who are suing the NCAA for, um, for money because they feel like the NCAA has not been treating them fairly, that they've been extorting them, that they have been taking money that belongs to them. And you look at that and it's very easy to say, well, it at least seems like there was some selfishness and some greed on the part of the leadership of the NCAA that they were not putting student-athletes' needs first. They're putting their own needs first. And then when it comes to politics and government, I mean, the number of leadership scandals are really too many to count. And it's easy to become cynical and jaded about the value of leadership. And the church is not exempted from this. It's not exempted from this. There are a number of people who are claiming to be Christians and are exercising authority in Jesus' name who have done atrocious things. You can think of sex abuse scandals and the resulting cover-up. You can think of people embezzling money. You can think of people using the influence that God has given them as Christian leaders for personal gain instead of serving others. And it's easy to become jaded and cynical about leadership and to conclude that leadership must be part of the problem rather than part of the solution. But Jesus seems to be saying that when people are harassed and helpless, what they need is a shepherd. Now you say, well, I agree with that. We need Jesus. We need Jesus as our good shepherd. We need the good shepherd to show up and heal us. We need the good shepherd to show up and protect us. We need the good shepherd to show up and provide us with guidance. What's so surprising about that? Well, this morning, we want to talk about how it is that that good shepherd, our Lord and Savior, actually supplies that healing and that guidance. And we want to talk about how he's planning on providing for us that loving, tendering, tender shepherding care that we need. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'd love for you, if you don't have a Bible with you, to simply grab one from the rack in front of you or take one from underneath your seat and turn to page 983 in those Bibles. Page 983 in those Bibles. If you turn to 983, you'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, which is the section of Scripture we're going to look at this morning. As you're turning, I want you to remember, or at least I want to remind you, that last week we talked about John chapter 21. And in John chapter 21, Jesus showed up to restore Peter after his sin. And if you remember back or remember to that story, three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter refer, responds in the affirmative, Lord, you know that I love you. And then three times Jesus says what back to him? Feed my sheep. And it's interesting that Jesus, the good shepherd, is restoring Peter not just to a place of forgiveness, but to a place of ministry, and is commissioning him to feed Jesus' sheep. And the interesting thing is, is Jesus is our good shepherd, but according to John 21, Jesus was planning on exercising that shepherding care in and through Peter. And... When we get to 1 Peter 5, 
we find out that the same commission that God gave, Jesus gave to Peter, Peter is giving to us. And that Jesus is planning on exercising that shepherding care that those who are harassed and helpless need through us. So let's read it together. I'll be reading 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Here in these instructions, Peter has something to say to those who are shepherds and something to say to those who are the flock. Because the majority of his instructions are those to those who are shepherds, we're going to focus today on God's instructions to those who are in leadership. The instructions to those who are being led are simply submit to those who are in leadership. And so what we want to do this morning is really focus on what God has to say to those who are shepherds. And the first question is, well, exactly who is he talking to? Well, he begins, to the elders among you. Here at Calvary Church, we have currently 14 men who are serving in the position of elder at Calvary Church. Here are their names. You can see them there. These are men who have been through a rigorous nomination process, whose lives were compared to the qualifications uh, that the scriptures spell out that an elder must have. And among those who were qualified according to scripture, these men were selected not by popular vote, but by the Lord through the casting of lots. They'll serve, uh, Lord willing, three-year terms. At the end of those three-year terms, they will go off the elder board for at least two years, at which time they will be eligible again for selection and have to go through the process again if God were to select them. Now, the elders of Calvary Church are the spiritual authority of the church. Technically, I'm one of the elders, but I am under their authority, as is everyone who's on the staff, as is everyone who's here in the church. And so when Peter says, to the elders among you, clearly he's talking to these 14 men. So if you happen to see one of them sitting next to you, you can just elbow them and tell them to pay close attention because God is talking to them. However, I think God is talking to more than just those 14 men because in verse number three, it tells those elders, be examples to the flock. Meaning that as the elders exercise their spiritual authority in accordance with how God has spelled it out here, we are supposed to take note and do the same thing. Therefore, I think you can apply the instructions that God has here 
to anyone who's in a spiritual leadership position within God's church. It applies to deacons, whom God has selected and raised up to help the elders do the work that God has entrusted them to do. It applies to those who are uh, on the pastoral staff here, those who are on the staff, the ministry staff of the church, those who are on any form of uh, paid position here at the church. It applies to those who are Sunday school teachers. It applies to those who are small group leaders. It applies to those who are leaders in the youth group or in the children's ministry or with young adults. It applies to those who are exercising leadership in the parking lot ministry or among the ushers or in the food service ministry. It applies to anybody here who is responsible before God for helping others who are believers live out their faith. That means I think you can also gather principles from this passage for parents. For those who have been assigned by God to have someone come live with you, perhaps, who may be struggling in their faith. To those who are business leaders who are trying to live out their Christian faith in the business community. Those who are teachers who have students that they're responsible for leading. For those who are in the medical community who have responsibility. Wherever it may be, if you have responsibility for helping another person who's a believer in Jesus follow after God and you've been given that sort of leadership responsibility... I think 1 Peter 5 has something to say to us. Now what it is that God is saying to those in spiritual leadership positions can be broken down into really two aspects. There are specific actions that those who are leaders must do and there are specific attitudes that those who are leaders must have. Let's begin with the actions. Peter says that anyone who's here who is a small group leader, a Sunday school teacher, who's responsible in children's ministry, who may be parenting Christian children, anyone here in that position, he says, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Be shepherds of God's flock. Same command that Jesus gave to Peter. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. Peter says to those who are leaders, be shepherds, take care of God's sheep. Now what does it mean to be a shepherd? Well, the metaphor of shepherds and sheep is used throughout the scriptures. It's quite common. And if you were to take all of the passages which talk about the role of shepherds and bring them all together, I think you would pull out of them four actions that shepherds are supposed to engage in. Four things that if you took the sum total of what the scriptures have to say about what it means to be a shepherd, there are four things that I think that entails. Number one, shepherds are responsible for healing the wounded. Shepherds are responsible for healing the wounded. <clears throat> that means that if you are a small group leader, and someone in your small group is going through a very difficult season of life right now, that it is especially your responsibility to look out for that person, to heal that person, to help that person, to come alongside of that person, to pay attention to that person. The heart of a shepherd is to care for those who are injured, those who are wounded, those who are sick. That a special place out of all the other people in your small group, that person who is in that season of difficulty needs your love and care in a unique way because that's what shepherds do. It means that if you are teaching in the children's ministry, 
and one of the children that you're responsible for, their parents are going through a divorce. It means paying close attention to that child. It means taking care of that child. It means praying especially for that child. It means loving on that child. That's what shepherds do is they heal the sick. They pay attention to the injured. They come alongside of the wounded. As far as the elders of the church go, this is why we spend time praying over those who are sick. You heard Jim Ribbons share his testimony of coming to have the elders pray over him. He mentioned that it happened a couple of years ago, and that's because a couple of years ago, as the elders were studying through the scriptures, we realized, look, the main thing that elders are called to do is the ministry of the word and prayer. And so we went through a lot, and it was a lot, to get our schedule changed so that we could spend time praying over people who are sick. And so now at Calvary Church, on the first Tuesday of every month, if you want to simply have the elders pray over you, you can come here first Tuesday of the month and the elders are here to anoint people with oil and to pray over them. And pray, just like Jim was saying from James chapter 5, to pray for God's miraculous healing in your life. And as elders, we often spend on that first Tuesday night somewhere between two and three hours praying over people in the congregation. Many of you have come for prayer. And like Jim, you've experienced healing. I can honestly tell you, it's been amazing. It's been incredible. God has shown up and done so many miraculous things that if I tried to tell you story after story, we picked one because we just wanted you to hear one. But if I tried to tell you, it would take all day to try to tell you all these things that God has done. Not because there's anything magical about the elders. There's not. It's because the heart of God is the heart of a shepherd. And God has compassion for those who are sick and those who are wounded and those who are injured. And when leaders do what God tells leaders to do, God shows up and does what he's supposed to do. And what he says he's supposed to do is he's supposed to provide healing. And I can tell you that the people who have come to the elders for prayer have experienced God's miraculous healing. Sometimes it's physical healing. Sometimes it's spiritual healing. Sometimes it's God showing up and providing guidance. But this is what God wants to do. And the point is, is that he expresses our need for healing and compassion through the leadership that he's put in place. And the task of elders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, is number one, heal the wounded. Number two, shepherds are responsible before God for bringing back the strays. The scriptures are very clear. A shepherd who is a shepherd like God is a shepherd goes after the lost. They go and find those who have wandered away. That sheep have a tendency to wander away from the flock and the shepherd's job is to go get them. What this means is that if you are a leader in the high school ministry, you are not allowed simply to hang out with the core kids that are normally there. You're supposed to do that. That's part of it. That's important. Thank God for them. But you're also supposed to pay attention to the kids who are on the fringes, to those who aren't coming to the youth group, 
to those who are falling away or don't want anything to do. Perhaps they're too shy. Perhaps they're sin in their life, whatever it may be. God is saying, look, if you're going to work in the high school department, if you're going to work in the middle school department, you need to be a shepherd after my own heart, which means you must go after those who are not part of the flock. You must go seek the lost. You must find the kid that's hanging out at the fringe, at the edge. You got to go sit with them. You got to go love on them. You've got to go invite them. You've got to find the student who's not part of the youth group and say, come with me. I want you to be part of this. That's what shepherds do. It means that if you're in charge of the ushers here at Calvary Church and there's been someone who's served faithfully as an usher for a long period of time and suddenly they turn in their resignation and say, no, I don't want to do this anymore and you begin to no longer see them around. It's not enough to just say, well, go, go and God bless you. We have to go after them. We have to go say, is everything okay? Now, as far as the elders of the church and the leadership of the church, frankly speaking, I don't think we do a very good job with this one. I think in a big church, it's easy to let people hide behind anonymity. It's easy to allow people and just simply assume, well, they must be going to another church. I'm sure they're fine. I haven't seen them for a while. Maybe they're in another service. Maybe, I'm, maybe, maybe God's asking them to do something else, and maybe he is. After all, if God wants to call a sheep to another flock, that's his choice. They're his sheep. But to simply assume that because I haven't seen somebody around, well, they must have gone somewhere else, that's not, that's not acceptable. Shepherds are supposed to go after the strays and say, are you okay? Is everything all right in your life? Third responsibility. Shepherds must protect the flock. Shepherds must protect the flock. It's not an accident that in 1 Peter 5, if you go down just a couple of verses to verse 8, Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Lions like to eat sheep. And Peter is saying, Look, we have an enemy who is a roaring lion who wants to devour the, the, the sheep that God has placed in this flock. And the point is, it's the shepherd's job to try to protect. The sheep are not going to fight off a lion on their own. It's not going to happen. It's the shepherd's job. What that means is, is that if you're engaged in, in leading a, a Sunday school class, it's your job to look out for how this group can be protected from the enemy. This is why last week Dan Challa, who is the chairman of our elders currently, stood up here and said what we're going through as an elder board is, is that we are changing our doctrinal statement. We're not changing the doctrines of the doctrinal statement, but we're, we're rewriting it to make it clearer and frankly more robust. And the reason is is because the Bible is clear that false teachers come in among us as wolves disguised as sheep. And one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways to identify a false teacher is through false belief. And so the elders say, well, look, we need a doctrinal statement which is clearer and easier to understand and more robust to help protect from the enemy. That's the job of the shepherd, is to protect. This is why at Calvary Church you're going to hear, and you have heard, much more uh, emphasis and people talking about spiritual warfare. 
Because it's not enough for a small group leader or for a children's Sunday school teacher or for someone who's working in the cafe to simply say to another person who's going through a problem, I hope it works out for you. It means, Ephesians 6 says, you've got to stand firm. You've got to lift your shield of faith for the people around you. You've got to fight and stand against the evil one because he's going to devour all of us. And so at Calvary Church, we're committed to fighting the way God said to fight, which is spiritual armor and spiritual warfare. The fourth responsibility of the shepherd is to guide. Shepherds lead their sheep to green pastures and to still waters. That's what shepherds do. And if you work in the young adults ministry and there is a single person in the ministry that you are ministering to and they're asking, well, how do I find a spouse? How do I find someone that, that I can be married to that will be honoring to God? What the shepherd does is provide guidance. It means you come alongside of them and you say, look, here's how you go about doing this. Let me pray for you. Let me talk to you. Let me tell you what I've learned about you. Let me tell you what kind of person you ought to be looking for. We think, well, they're not going to want my advice. The point is, if God's put you in a position of leadership, it's to help them find a place where they'll be blessed. And if finding a certain job or a certain spouse or, 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 or fixing a relationship will help them experience blessing, it's your job and my job to come alongside of them and to help them. And if God's put you in that position of leadership, He is going to give you wisdom to give to them. He's going to provide you with advice and guidance that you can share with them. And it's the responsibility of a leader in Christ's church to be willing to say, look, let me help you. Let me help guide you. As far as the elders of the church, about eight years ago, well, depending on how you want to count years, we've been asking the Lord for guidance about what to do with the building that we meet in. Lord, where do you want us to go as a church with regard to the facility that we're in? And for eight years, we have been trying to hear what God's voice is on this and to some success and some struggle along the way. Recently, God has begun to speak. And so on May 4th, on Sunday morning, just a few weeks from now, we're going to share with you what it is we think God's telling us about where to go so that together as a community, we can go in that direction. That's the responsibility of those who are put in the leadership of the position is to listen to God's voice and to provide guidance. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of sheep wandering around, going wherever we feel like going and so God has said that shepherds are responsible for guiding heal the wounded bring back the strays protect the flock and provide guidance those are the actions of a shepherd but Peter says it's not enough to do the right things you have to do it with the right attitude and so there are four corresponding attitudes that go with the four actions that Peter has spelled out. The first attitude can be found in verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock. And the first attitude is the realization that whoever you have been called to lead does not belong to you. That it's God's flock. This is not my church. This is not the elder's church. This is not your church. It's God's church. And it's a, it's a reminder to each of us, the small group that you lead, that's not your small group. The Sunday school class that you teach is not your Sunday school class. 
The youth group that you are in charge of, not your youth group. It is the Lord's. And every single person that you are responsible for is one of God's children if they're a believer in Jesus. And it's a reminder to view everyone that we're called to lead as a son or daughter of God. And that we are to treat them as such. And to be reminded that we will stand someday before Jesus and tell him how well we did. That we'll be given account where if he says to us, I entrusted six five-year-olds to your care. How did you take care of my sheep that I entrusted to you? He may say to you, I gave you a small group of 10 people of my precious daughters and sons. How well did you do taking care of my sheep? Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. We're not feeding our sheep, it's his sheep. And every leader, no matter how big or how small the ministry, no matter how big or how small the response, even if they're your own kids, it's a reminder. These children are not mine. They belong to God. And I need to shepherd them the way God wants his sheep shepherded because I'm going to give an account. The second attitude is in verse number two also. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Finding leaders for God's church ought not be about twisting people's arms. It ought not be about guilting people into doing things. It ought not be about saying, look, we've got to have another worker in the children's ministry. Would you please do it? It ought to be about you and I saying, it is the Lord's will for us to lead and care for other people and to exercise those positions, to function in those positions and realize it's God's will that I'm here. If you're in a position of leadership in your small group, if you're in a position of leadership among the uh, food service workers here at Calvary Church, to realize you are where you are because God puts you there and it's God's will for you to lead them. Jesus says, look, I want you, Peter, to feed my sheep. He's still doing that today. He's calling us to feed his sheep. And it's remembering the fact that we are in the positions we're in because it's God's will for us to be there. A third attitude that God wants us to have, also in verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Now, dishonest gain can mean money, but it can also mean something broader than that. And the basic attitude or the principle is not viewing people for what they can provide for me. That if you are in a position of leadership or authority, not looking at people as what can they provide for me. Now, I got to warn you, it's a very, very subtle sin to start doing this. You can begin a Bible study and say, I want to teach people the Bible. That's great. But at some point, you can start inviting people to the Bible study so that you have more people at your Bible study than other people have at their Bible study. And so you can say, well, my Bible's like, I got 25 people. <laughs> it's a very, very subtle line to step over to say, people that I'm here to serve 
are actually here to help me build my kingdom and my self-esteem and what I want out of life. And Jesus says, you're not supposed to be a shepherd in my kingdom that way. This is not about what you and I get out of it. It's about the opportunity to serve others the way God served us. And every person who's a leader in God's kingdom in any facet has to constantly ask himself, am I doing this because it's about me? Do I think these kids that God has entrusted to me are about my dreams and my hopes or me serving them? Do I think that this youth group is about what I can get out of this or do I think it's about how I can serve them? And the attitude of the shepherd is, is to view the sheep as deserving our love and service, not being fit for the slaughter so that we can have something to take care of us. The fourth attitude is the beginning of verse 3. Well, it's actually all of verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It's easy to think about leadership in terms of power. But that's the reason why all the examples I gave you at the beginning of the sermon have gone badly. It's because it is true that power corrupts. And that's why Jesus says, leaders in my kingdom are not going to be in it for the power. That those who have been put in leadership positions are not allowed to lord it over others but instead to be examples. I love the fact that on any given day during the week, during the weekday, you can come to Calvary Church. You can walk around the church and see lots of activity going on. It's a very busy place. You'll often see volunteers in the hallway doing every different manner of things. On some weekdays, you can come in here and you may see a person who's an elder of the church. He's not currently uh, serving in that position, but is a former elder restocking uh, the bathrooms, making sure there's toilet paper and hand towels and all of that stuff. You would know he was an elder of the church or a former elder of the church, not wearing a name tag or anything that says that that's what he was. But he's the kind of person who thinks, I'm here to serve. And if God asks me to serve in the boardroom where I make decisions, great. And if God asks me to serve in restocking the toilet paper in the bathroom, great. I'm here to serve. I think it's a fabulous example. I think it's a fabulous example of what God is looking for is not people who want to wield power. What God is looking for is people who will say, here I am, Lord, whatever you want me to do. You want me to make decisions about the budget of the church? Great. You want me to put toilet paper in the bathroom? Great. I'm just here to serve. That's the kind of attitude that God's looking for and those who are going to be shepherds in his kingdom. One of the great promises of the Old Testament is, is that when Jesus comes, when he dies for our sins, when he gives uh, those who believe his Holy Spirit, God says in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, at that time, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. The reason why it's easy to be cynical about leadership is because there are so many bad examples of leaders. So many, in the church and outside the church. 
The reason why we don't give up hope about leadership is because God has made a promise to his church. I will give you shepherds after my own heart. I will give you people who will do these four things with these four attitudes. It's God's promise to us. And while the shepherds who are here at Calvary and at many other great churches around the world are wonderful people, we're not ever going to do everything perfectly. Your small group leader is not going to do everything perfectly. Your youth group leader is not going to do everything perfectly. The person who runs the ushers of the church is not going to do it. That's not the promise. The promise is not that we will be given perfect leaders. The promise is, as God says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will love you and care for you. And the reason why we don't lose hope is because God's faithful. And I think if we went around the room today, every single one of us could share a story of coming to the elders and having them pray over us and being healed. Having a small group leader come and sit with us in the hospital as we got ready to go through surgery. We could share a story about a youth group leader who refused to let our son or daughter wander away, but kept after them kept calling them, kept inviting them. We could share the story of a youth group leader that did that for us. Every one of us could share the story about a pastor when we were growing up who chose to love us and care for us. None of us would be here if it wasn't for parents, pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, shepherds after God's own heart. God has been faithful to that promise. Not everybody who claims to be a shepherd is shepherding in Jesus' name. But it is a blessing when God does what he said he's going to do, which is provide shepherds after his own heart. Let's pray. Lord, if we look back over our lives as believers, it wasn't just our friends who helped us through times of trouble. It was those you put in leadership positions over us. It was the small group leader, the faithful Sunday school teacher, the person that served with us and over us for all those years. It was that pastor. It was those elders making decisions we didn't even know about. It was parents. It was grandparents. Jesus, thank you for having compassion on us in our harassed and helpless state. And thank you for sending us shepherds who are shepherds after your own heart. Lord, I pray for those who are here who have been given that responsibility. Help us to, to, to be that kind of shepherd. And Lord, for those of us who are sheep who are following, help us to submit that in all things you might receive the glory, that the whole world will know that you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and leads us safely through on home to be with you. Amen.